Stay fly. Stay fly. Let it loose. He, he said, you feel spirit trying to get you to tap your ankle and you resist it. You cannot be mad if you take the same bullshit. I mean, these aren't his words. You can't be mad if you take your same bullshit back home with you. If you're starting to feel it, do not resist that shit. Do not resist it. Let it flow through you. And um, and so that's what I'm here to do. Like, as I'm figuring my shit out, I'm like, okay, sis, let me show you what you what I got, what I figured out. And what, you got something else to share? Okay, let's figure this out. Because as I rise, we all rise. You're listening to The Fly Guy Show. They do everything on the fly and in such a fly manner. Stay fly, stay fly, stay fly. Stay fly. The views expressed by the guests are only the views of the guests. Unless we say we agree. Unless explicitly stated. <laughs> hey, this is Larry Thomas here on the Bold School Podcast. You're listening to Psycho Varner's Fly Guy Podcast. Support, like, subscribe, and share. He's saying some good things. Share it. Don't keep it to yourself. And we're live. Hey, welcome to another great episode of Get On Code. I'm Psycho Varner. This brother right here is the groundbreaking author, Minister Zumbi. What's up, bro? That's what's up. That's what's up. Today we have beautiful, powerful, lovely sisters who want to share some great stories, particularly a sister who has a book from fat, black and unlovable to beautiful, powerful love. So welcome again to another great episode of Get On Code. Welcome to the light. With us today is the author of a groundbreaking book. And I like to use that term groundbreaking because she has some things that turned up the soil. You know, sometimes you got to turn up the soil so that those fertile seeds really have a fertile environment to grow inside of. And she did that with her book. And, you know, I don't want to say it's just for the sisters. I don't want to say it's just for the sisters. But sisters will love this book from fat, black, and unlovable to beautiful, powerful love. Speaking of sisters who love this book, we have with us, I don't I want to call you Queen J. Can I go with Queen J? That's fine. Whatever works for you. You know I'm easy. All right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> hey, Queen J is hanging out with us for the first time. She's going to be one of our newer platformers. You'll see a lot more of her. You're going to see a lot more of her. But this sister right here, why don't you introduce yourself, Barbara? I say. Uh, so my name is Barbara Pamplin. Um, my Ifa name, because I, 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 I practice um, African spiritual tradition. Uh, my Ifa name is Ohu Ninifa. Uh, most of my peeps just say Nini because that's a mouthful. Or, or Barbara, because that is the name my mama and my daddy gave me so that is to be honored as well and it has some history for me as well so I look at that as also a sacred name so both Ashe Ashe alright cool 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 alright so let's go ahead and dive deep right now you have an interesting website and your website kind of promotes your book and so your book is from fat black and unlovable to beautiful powerful love and your website is beautiful, powerful love. Black women are dope AF. And we must remember yeah. how to love ourselves again. What do you mean by that? Man, so as, as black women, I could say in this country or really on this planet, we have been um, ostracized. We have put at the, been put at the bottom of every hierarchy, whether it's 
for intelligence, whether it's for beauty, um, kind of unprotected and just told that we aren't good enough in any arena. Um, and yet the black woman is the original, the first woman on the planet. So every human being comes from the womb of a black woman. Um, and it's time for us to remember that, to remember if you go to one of the other pages on the, on my website, you know, remember who the F we are. And I'm, I'm being respectful because I would normally just drop the F bomb, but it's important. Well, shit, too. Yeah. So we need to remember who the fuck we are. You know what I'm saying? So, and, and to remember that, like, what we have done as a people, just, just thinking about the slave trade alone. And the number of us that arrived here and the number of us that are here now, that was all of the people birthed from a black woman who was enslaved or had some, or in Jim Crow, which was, you know, only a couple of steps being um, out of, of slavery. And so to survive all of that and yet and still still hold on to traditions, still hold on to our families the best way that we could to give birth to future generations with some hope for the future. And in some cases, knowing that we didn't want our children to be enslaved, there were women who made the decision that they were not going to be enslaved and ended their life and their children's lives. And so, man, this country, this world, most much of it has been built from the wounds of a black woman and we ourselves first have to remember how dope we are and then command and demand that from elsewhere but first internally all right i, I, I kind of get the impression that you're talking to queen j queen j Girl, you got something to say no oh i know i felt all of that i love her oh yeah she's better put some motherfucking respect on y'all names. That's all I want black people to do. That's what I'm saying. Like, put some respect on your name. You do, do you understand where you came from? But go ahead. You got it. Oh, I love you. (laughs) By the way, your upcoming book, the title, I was like, oh, yes, yes, yes. So I already knew that we was on the same page when I heard that. But I mean, like, so much. Yes, ma'am. I'm following. Ashe. And, you know, we can command and say, you know, brothers need to treat us in a certain way, or corporate America needs to treat us in a certain way, and all of the things, but what I had to realize is that I couldn't even stand in that truth fully until I accepted myself fully, until I loved myself fully, and it didn't have to wait until I lost this this amount of weight or this thing. It was not on a condition. I gotta love myself right where the fuck I am. Battered, bruised, and all. Um... And so that's what that's what this work that's what my work is about is as I remember how to really love myself and understand what that means I know I am better able to do that when my sisters are able to do that as well and so as I'm learning it and as I figure shit out my work is to share that with other sisters and and I'll say that the title of my book the, the title of the book and, and the content within the book, a lot of times it's difficult for black women to read because it triggers a lot of stuff. Even if even if you've never had a weight problem and you never saw yourself as fat or unlovable in, in that way, there's some toxic belief that you had about yourself that you've had for so long that you don't even know the difference between that and the truth. And that is what this work is. Digging into that pain. You can't run away from it. You got to walk through that shit. And transform it as you walk through it, which takes all of the courage and bravery from all of these ancestral mothers that survived all the shit that they survived that it, in order for us to be here. Because they want us to do it. 
They are calling for us to do it. They are telling us to stand up to do it at this point. And um, and so that's what I'm here to do. Like, as I'm figuring my shit out, I'm like, okay, sis, let me show you what you what I got, what I figured out. And what, you got something else to share? Okay, let's figure this out. Because as I rise, we all rise. I say, I say, Minister Zumbi, another great author, man. What are you thinking from author to author when you hear this diatribe that Sister Barbara just shared? You know, I have a saying that I use when I celebrate my friend's wedding anniversaries. Black love is revolutionary activity. How revolutionary has it been for you on this sojourn to redeem yourself, if you will? It has been all revolution. And, you know, every act of self-care, every decision where I had to put myself first was a, a revolutionary act. Whenever I've had to stand up for myself, it was a revolutionary act. Whenever I had to break through my own internal barriers, that that, that critic that says, you can't do that. Nobody want to hear that. Don't nobody want to know that. That's not what's important. Breaking through that was a revolutionary act. And every time I did it, I'll say this, every time I didn't do it, I got my ass beat, you know, spiritually. <laughs> I got called to the mat and, you know, I have ancestors that will say, that is not who you are. That is not what you're here to do. Get your ass on point. And, you know, it's not this, oh, kumbaya, which is a beautiful thing when you have ancestors that speak to you in that way. But I got some gangster ancestors that were like, no, fuck that. Do what you got to do. You came here to do a thing, do it. And, um, and part of the, the, I guess the, the revolution, the, the breakthrough, you know, uh, Brother Seiko mentioned at the beginning about turning the soil. And, you know, I started this path of uh, honoring my ancestors of um, uh, Ifa being a part of um, the Obafemi Institute for the Divine Study of Ifa OIDSI, and really understanding, reaching back and getting that, that those spiritual practices that sustained our people as they were here, as we were getting brutalized, as we were getting terrorized, as we were getting murdered, as we were getting raped, as we were getting all the things, that spiritual connection sustained us and gave us the strength to move forward. And as I started to reach back for that, and, and in that same year, this was 2017, in that same year, I went on a trip to Brazil and got to experience Candomblé, our cousins, right? So they were mm-hmm. on different slave ships and went there a little bit earlier. And just seeing like, damn, you really could be my cousin. But no, I don't speak Portuguese. I speak English because they walking up to me like I'm them. and But they are me and I am them. And so that was a, a revolutionary experience for me. And then when I got back from that, probably about six weeks later, and I didn't even, you know, you, you can't ever know when your life is about to change completely. Um I had what was called what's called an aortic dissection. And if you're like me, I don't know anything about my anatomy. I'm like, what the hell is that? But it's basically a very, um, it's a, essentially a fatal, um, oh, it's a, a potentially fatal disorder that happens, kind of a, a thing that happens where that aorta that is the main pipe that comes off of your heart, it's, it's made of three layers of tissue. And it's basically a tube. And the inner layer of mine tore, which created kind of a double chamber 
I call it a double chamber shotgun of blood just floating, going through. But when that happens, um, only 1% of people survive that. It's usually something very few people make it to the hospital. When they make it to the hospital, they get misdiagnosed. And I've had people, you know, later on who say, oh, I heard you had a heart attack. I wish I had a heart attack. A heart attack is much more survivable and recoverable. Um, So I had this aortic dissection. They didn't, man, this is a lot of what's in the book. So I won't go into a lot of detail because that story in and of itself of how it happened and the experience of it itself. But um, long story short, and I must probably say that like three more times, but I had to have an uh, emergency open heart surgery right there on the spot. And they said, it's a 50-50 prognosis if you'll make it out of the surgery. So if you need to call somebody, call them now. So, you know, uh, my husband and I, my husband at the time was there and we called the kids, didn't tell them exactly what was going on, but just mama has to have a procedure because I wanted them to hear my voice and I wanted to hear their voice one more time um, before I went into surgery. And it was about a 10 hour surgery. And I always talk about this thing is like, when I understand what that surgery was like, it was, it was like, I was a, I was a corpse. They drained my body of blood, of my blood, because to repair that part of my aorta right near my heart, there couldn't be blood pumping through it. So my blood went into a bypass. They said they lowered my body temperature down to 14 degrees so that they could remove that part of the aorta that it torn and replace it with a synthetic material that's called Dacron and then close me back up and then just wait to see if I was going to survive it. And so I survived... I mean, kidney failure, um, you know, because when you're not getting oxygen to blood, you're not getting oxygen to your brain. I wasn't getting blood flow to my kidneys. I wasn't getting blood flow to my legs, uh, one of my legs at one point. So there was all kinds of things that could come out of that that they didn't know. They may have been able to save my life, but they didn't know what condition I would be in at the end of that. So I survived. I was doing dialysis every day. I'm still in intensive care. And by this time, I'm walking around the hospital and I was on my way back to my room and um, I was on the phone with my husband and uh, a friend of ours and they said I just stopped talking and all they heard was the phone hit the floor um, so what had happened is that my, my heart stopped and I was in the bathroom so when I in, so apparently when I collapsed I hit the wall and slid down and when you're in those intensive care bathrooms there's a string on the wall to call the uh, the nurse and so my body weight pulled the string. You can say body weight. You can say ancestors. I'm going to say ancestors because all the way through this joint, they were like, no, it's not your time. It's not your time. So anyway, heart stopped. I'm on the floor. Apparently, I bit my tongue. So there's blood everywhere. My husband's still on the phone. He hears the nurses come in. Um, they're doing manual CPR because I just had the open heart surgery. So they couldn't use the paddles. Um about 20, 30 minutes or so, my heart started beating again. So I came back, um, recovered, and I think it was like a week later, I was in the bed, and, and I'm still in intensive care because we had to start over with everything. Um, and then my heart stopped again. And this time when the nurse asked me, are you okay? And I said, I feel terrible. And no, I know all of this because I've read my 500-page hospital records because that's how long I was in intensive care. So then um, heart stopped again and I was gone and so they're doing all the things to bring me back. Code blue, code blue. 
Um, and this time they said, okay, we need to take her back into surgery. So they went back in for a second open heart surgery, removed a blood clot, checked to make sure that there wasn't a problem with the, with the repair for the aorta, closing back up, and then I'm recovering. Now, mind you, all this time I had no idea that I, my heart stopped, that I died, or that I'd actually gone back into surgery again. Um, <clears throat> and so by this time... I kind of knew they explained it to me and they showed me where they had stabilized my sternum with titanium plates because of all of the CPR on an already fragile, you know, sternum, I needed extra support to, to hold everything. Um, so still was in dialysis, all kinds of kidney issues, all, you know, all the things. So I'm still in intensive care. Um, and then it happened again. And this time I felt it coming and I knew it was coming and I could feel myself leaving my body. And uh, I describe it like this in the book. It's like that scene from Get Out when the main character, Chris, is kind of fading back into himself and everyone else is getting further and further away. That's what it felt like. But I didn't want to go. And I just was, you know, kind of holding on and saying, you know, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. And, you know, my husband was there and he was, you know, helping me to breathe and stay in my body. The doctors were there trying to get me to stay in. And it was like, there was something just pulling me away. And, um, and then I was gone flatline again and they kept working on it, kept working on it. And mind you also in each of these times, they would be working and, <clears throat> and at some point they were about to call, pronounce me dead. And I think at one point my husband said, no, keep trying. Um, or either, and then another point when they were going to pronounce me dead, I think when they said that I came back. So there were so many close calls in that, in that environment. And throughout this whole time, so at the end of the day, I was in for 50 days in intensive care, three open heart surgeries. Because after that third time, they went back in again, just exploratory, to try to understand why I kept dying, why my heart kept stopping. But also, they couldn't understand how I kept coming back. And... And had full functionality, you know, as much as you can after going through something like that. But I wasn't, um, I didn't have mental or physical disabilities, not any major ones that they could, could see that would stick. Uh, and throughout that entire time, whether it was the intensive care doctors or my surgeons or the surgeon's assistants or they brought in blood specialists or all of the intensive care nurses, because I got to know all of them from being there for so long, or even the woman that would come to clean the room. They would come in and be in tears saying, we're so glad you're still here. You're here for a reason. And even now when I go back, because at this point I got a bond with these people. I haven't been during COVID, but um, before COVID, I, was, I would go back every few months just to say hi, because I was there with them for so long. And um, they get on the loudspeaker and they say, Miracle Child is here, Barbara Pamplin. And so to be in that environment, to be in that situation so suddenly everything ripped off, like the rug ripped off from un under your feet. But yet, yet and still you have people who couldn't be as far from thinking about spirituality in a medical sense as you can get. Like we're talking about doctors in Washington state. They not thinking about what God is doing, but they're coming in the room telling me I'm a miracle. And I was like, shit, well, damn. Okay. What am I here? For? What am I here for? Am I, am I a miracle? What am what? All right. I'm here for something. What am I here for? And I had started the first chapter of this book before this all happened. And I told them, Hey, go get my, go get my book. I need to read this. And 
I know this is a thing I have to do when I get out of here. And I read that first draft chapter. And in that chapter, I talked about this toxic belief of from fat, black and unlovable. And I talked about the belief that was the truth that I hadn't grasped yet, which is beautiful, powerful love. And in that that first chapter, I said, I choose death. I choose the death of my former self that believed these things about myself. I choose the death of fat, black, and unlovable. I said I choose death three times, and that is how many times I died. So I'm like, well, shit, I better leave all of that there because <laughs> I didn't call it and claimed it, and now I'm here and made it through. Um, and so that was 2017. And since then, um, you know, 2018 was about writing the book, and I had some events around that. And really understanding, I say I wrote the book, but really that book wrote me. And um, uh, and I have some, uh, I'll say I'll have one ancestor in particular that was really working with me to heal me through that. Yep, that's a picture of her. I won't say which one. She don't want to get called out like that, but one of those. But And um, and trust, when they say like you, we gave you this book for you to do something with it. So after I wrote it and I kind of was like, oh, shit, I put all my business in the street. Damn, that was a lot. I found myself back in the hospital for like two or three days, the day after a couple of days after I released the book. My blood pressure had gotten so high and I was just like really that releasing and being vulnerable and putting your, you know, as black people, that whole putting your business in the street is a real thing that we like your uncle telling about your business. But that's how we hold on to trauma. That's how we hold on to shit that goes into our hearts and in our wombs. And all of that got to get cleared out now. All of it has to get cleared out now. They want us to clear it out so they can rejoice. So they can actually rejoice in seeing us with the freedom that we have now and the opportunities that we have now that they didn't have. And now we do, but we still got the, the baggage and the pain and the trauma to resolve. And we can't run from it. You got to walk through it and got to face it and do it. And so that was a long ass way of saying, yeah, I've been through a few things. <laughs> And it's all been revolutionary and it don't stop. I'm working on another, but I'm actually working on a couple of other books now. One is another follow up to this because where that book ended, you know, my healing didn't stop. That spiral of healing didn't end. There's still stuff I'm, I'm, I'm seeing and understanding in a deeper way. Now there was stuff I wasn't ready to deal with in that book that now I, I, I have to deal with. Um, and then working with other sisters on, uh, on works to, to bring more ancestral voices. Cause I'm telling you, the ancestors are active now. They've always been active, but now they act, they showing out and showing up and they want, they, they're calling us all to do what we got to do and do what we came here to do. And, um, and so, yeah, so that's been the, the work for me since, since that realization, since that, that soil was tilled, since that, you know, that earth was broken up and I had to redefine and re-understand who I am. I had to remember who the fuck I was. I had to remember how dope I am. I had to remember how to love me. And I'm, and it's and when I say had to, I really should say have to because it's an ongoing process. It's an ongoing process, especially in this misogynoir world that we live in that does not value a black woman. I got to walk valuing myself so much where I don't... If I get someone else's um, accolades or praise or positive energy, it's a plus. It's icing on the cake, as my daddy used to say, but I got the fucking cake rolling with it. Okay, I'm going to stop now because I can keep going. Okay. Oh, okay. 
You okay. asked one question. You didn't even know you was going to get to Amazing. a minute. Wheel it. Wheel it. Amazing. Wheel it. I'm going to put myself last. Um, Queen J, what say you? What question you? Miss <laughs> English teacher. Oh, yeah. what you I, got? What I don't you have questions. I want to read the book. Look, I, I want to read the book. I don't. I don't have any questions. You know, I'm a reader. I want to read the book. Everything. Yes, I love it. You're amazing. And look, in my book. Okay, so it's a, it's so awesome that you invited me up here because it is like we our stories or our purpose of telling sharing our stories are similar um, okay. because I share my life story too. But you know, I'm. Um, I talk about my little heart being broken, honey. You talk about your heart being stopped. <laughs> So we got from two different guys, but I focus more. <laughs> I focus more on the love, the love that hurt me. It's all related. You had to, yeah. No, it is all related, but it's just amazing because I talk about three loves, and you talk about your three. Oh my, you are amazing! But it's just I love it, and that yes, I, I'm so grateful for this. I'm grateful for it. it hearing your words and I can't wait to read them. I want to read that. I gotta read yeah, that. <laughs> Reach out, girl, because I got more. I got more to say. I got more to say. Sometimes I read the yes, book and I'll be like, to talk. And then, you know, so one of the things I talk about in it is um, in one of the chapters that goes through these stereotypes of black women. Um, I start off with, I call it um, Damn, I don't even remember what I call it. Something about Bunny DeBarge. Basically, if you're not white, you better be as close as you can get to being white. Which, you know, back in the 80s, it was all about Bunny DeBarge and the DeBarges. You know what I'm saying? And so, and you know what that felt like being a little girl and like, you know, and then, you know, I looked at the, and I talk about this in the book, and I look at the doll test and how it is so easy for us to gravitate towards what's pretty and beautiful in, in terms of what's beat into our minds. And it looks nothing mm-hmm. like us. And that is like some for real decolonizing the mind that most of us don't even know is there because it's so insidious. It's just, it creeps in on everything. Like one of my favorite shows was um, Give Me a Break. Nail Carter. If that wasn't a damn modern day Manny, I don't know what was. Like, no wonder. I'm like, I had so many issues. And then it was like, damn, well, can I be a video hoe? Okay, not even that. <laughs> it's like, I, I grew up in the 80s, so that was a real thing. But so when um, I talk about influences. Like, we don't take into account all of our influences throughout our lives and how our minds are shaped by the things that we do take in, the different type of programming that we partake in. So mm-hmm. it influences everything. Um, and you see the influence that we have now. So it's like, okay... Whereas we don't want them to be role models, those are the people who are going to ultimately influence this generation that's coming up. So we can't just pretend like it's not going to take place or that it's not happening. Like you said, um, I don't want Cardi B to be the influencer for my child. I don't want um, Meg and all them twerkers. Like, everything you listen to on the radio is about twerking. Like, you don't have anything else to offer besides our ass. Um, But here's the thing, though. I will say to that... It's not that I I don't reject Hardy B and and Megan Thee Stallion because to me that's still that's a part of us. It's not all of us. The problem gets to be when 
when the assumption is, okay, that's what black women are about and that's it. But no, yes, I can, I can, we can drop it like it's hot and we can twerk it because also that has some indigenous ancestral ties as well. We've made it sexual, but it's a real thing. We have conjured up so much power just by the way a black woman's hip will move to be, man, I just was at a bembe last night. On Juneteenth in Houston, 40 minutes away from where those final, I won't say final, but the last large group of our ancestors found out that they were free. You can't tell me that the twerking that was going on at that Bembe last night wasn't conjuring. A lot of ancestors were showing up and showing out. However, when it's commercialized and it's shown in a one-dimensional way, and I'm going to make a real jacked up ass um, comparison, it's kind of like cocaine. There was a time when people chewed the cocaine leaves and it was, it gave you energy. People could keep doing what they're doing, but then them fools went in there and extracted the one potent extract from it and then it's deadly. Things in nature, when they have all of their components with them, aren't bad. As when you extract that one piece and expect it to stand by itself is where the issue comes. So, yeah, we got all of the things, but, you know, we got... We got Michelle Obama. We got, you know, we got our vice president now. We we got so many parts of us because it all comes back down to black women are dope as fuck. Indeed. All the things. Indeed. And uh, Indeed. Bunny DeBarge is dope too. <laughs> <laughs> we met her because she light skin. It's all good. It's all good. She gave us beats. <laughs> Hey, I, I, hey, I'm a, I'm a DeBarge fan, and Bunny was one of the reasons why. Um, See? <laughs> I ain't front. I ain't He was all in love with her brother L. DeBarge. I ain't even. Mm. It's all good. It's all good. It's all good. Brother Minister Zumbi, man, what are you thinking with this, with the platitudes that Sister Barbara's dropping right now? You know, there's something that came to mind while. In, in her mind. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with a thing called the hero's journey. Uh, it was coined by Joseph Campbell, who was an expert in world mythology. And in fact, he actually served as George Lucas's mentor to create the Star Wars series. And I kind of got the feeling that the sister went through that hero's journey where she had to confront what was in the cave. Or she had to go through like Hercules, those 12 labors to become someone that she's never been before. So, and I think all of us are going to have to go through our hero's journey. Many of us uh, run away from it because we feel that we're not equipped to confront whatever is in that cave that we have to confront. You know, so... So I, I see a lot of the hero's journey in her story. Okay. Uh, has that concept of a hero's journey ever come up with you, sis? It's interesting. Um, even in my mind, I, I run from that because I, I, I... To me, I survived it, but it wasn't like I was putting effort into surviving it. I put effort into writing the book but even that, and the book itself was a healing process, but even that, it was kind of like, I felt like I had no choice, so it didn't feel like it was me doing it. It was truly on the backs of my ancestors and truly um, something divine that I that I needed to experience. But it is absolutely true. Like, I had to go through what I went through 
to be where I'm at. And also, and that hero's journey, the thing is, the journey, that part of the journey ends and then you spiral up and you begin it again. And then you spiral up and begin it again. And then when I look back over my life, because, you know, things like dealing with major depression almost all of my life, it's that, that, that descent and then the coming back up has been something that I've been doing in small ways my entire life. This was just like the big show, you know what I mean? Like going through this was like, oh, you're going all the way down into Hades and then you come back and see what you brought back. Um, and now I know and I'll have a better understanding of how to do that. But it's definitely Hero's Journey. And also, but uh, it's Hero's Journey, but I... I I still struggle, as you can tell, from me stuttering and shit. That it's hard for me to accept it. Like, okay, that that's who I am. That's how I'm rolling. Um, but it also reminds me of this um, a class I took because you know I was taking all kinds of classes and going deep into the study last year with the COVID and um, and the pandemic, and you know with all of my. Um, ongoing health issues because you don't go through something like that. I'm like, okay, yeah, I've got a clean bill of health. Like I see multiple specialists on a regular basis for all kinds of stuff um, and probably will have another surgery coming up um, at some point in my future. We just do testing to see when that's going to be because part of my aorta is still dissected. Um, and so, you know, when I saw the, the pandemic coming in, I just went even deeper in. Cause I'm like, I can't even afford, I can't even test whether this is real or not. I can't even, so I got to go in. So anyway, I took this course on African, uh, women's, um, African women's mysteries. Um, and she covered East Africa and West Africa. And one of the things it's, uh, Ia Kumari, um, Ori Institute. And one of the things she talks about in that course is she goes to the Shiro's journey and just talking about some, a lot of the, uh, ancient, um, mythology from Kemet and you see a lot of the goddesses before either things were taken over and it would shift to being you know instead of being the goddess they were the god's wife or something but when you go back in antiquity so many of these black women went through that path of dissension and having to come back and having to descend and come back and what each of those steps actually meant and it's a it's 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 a divine process that it's almost like every black woman has to experience. And I say black woman because that is who I am in this life. Um, we could just very well say that every human being has to go through it, but our experience of it might look a little bit different than others, but it's definitely a process that we have to go through so that we can remember who we are. Otherwise you're just kind of, being defined by others, which is not acceptable, which is a certain way to, to be depressed and sad and, and to not have the life you want. I'll give really long answers. <laughs> Look, really good answers. Really good answers. Really good answers. Whoa. How did this impact your family? You know, you talked about your husband at the hospital, um, mm -hmm. and I know you have a larger family. How did this awakening, well, those two questions, mm -hmm. how did the the tragedy impact your family and how did the awakening impact your family? So, I mean, my son was 13 at the time or 12. Um, and my daughter was um, 22, 4, 21. 
2017. So she had just graduated from college. Anyway, she was not living at home. Um, so it's it was extremely terrifying for them. Um, like even we're still unpacking a lot of it now. Like even it's been almost it'll be four years this fall, and we're still unpacking a lot of it now because. You know, there was things that they were experiencing that I wasn't aware of because I was in the midst of it, like somewhere between here and the ethers, you know, trying to get back to my body and stuff. Um, and then, you know, the recovery after that. So there was just so much. And my son, I would say they both had to grow up really fast. My son, especially because he was the one that was actually, you know, living at home. And, and you know, when whenever my husband got the call at three in the morning or, or you know, whatever that I had coded and, you know, I need, he needed to get to the hospital you know, it was my son that had to roll with him. At one point, and I did, my, he did tell me this, my son, that and um, one of those times when they were getting to the hospital, when I coded, he envisioned himself grabbing my feet of my spirit and kind of doing a wrestling move to push, get me back into my body. And, you know, I don't take that lightly because, you know, get given what I believe in the, the, the spiritual uh, practice that I have, I have no doubt that he, all of them played a key role in me and anchoring me here um, and giving me a way to come back. I don't remember, you know, people say, that, you know, some people come back from near death experience and have a memory of what that like, what it was. And I don't have a clear memory of that, but I am, I have no doubt that the love and the prayers and, you know, even that, that wrestling move my son did helped me to know, I got to get back into my body. I need to come back here. My babies need me, even though they're not babies, but they still need me here. Um, and I'm super thankful. My, my uh, Since then, my husband and I have divorced, but we are still really good friends and really close. And I'm, I'm so thankful for him throughout all of that because he was the one that was there when my aorta tore and I was at home. He was the one who looked at me and was like, because, man, I was in there talking about, I think I might have gas. And he was like, mm, you zoning out and not answering me. I'm calling an ambulance. So I'm thankful for him. And, and also throughout many of those points of, of helping to anchor me here. You know, he's a yoga instructor. So he was really helping me with the breath to stay tied to my breath and stay tied to my body through that breath. And so super thankful. But it was um, absolutely traumatic for him as well to see me dead or dying that many times. And, you know, he's still unpacking that shit. And uh, shit, we all are. And, um, and you know, my sisters, my mother since pa has passed away, was actually already passed away. She passed away in 2006 from heart disease uh, related issues. And so um, what I understand is that my father didn't know much about what happened until after the fact because my sisters made the decision not to tell him because he probably would have lost it. Um, I am the youngest child, his youngest child, um, named after his only son that drowned before I was born. And so to have lost his only son, to have lost his wife, and then to have his youngest daughter kind of hanging on for dear life they didn't think he would have been able to handle it and so he didn't find out until after the fact of what was going on but it was I look at it as like this major this major pole shift 
for all of us in different ways. And how that will turn out is still yet to be seen. Shit is still yet to be seen of how fully and all of the things that come from me out of this. But especially my children, you know, I know for a fact they are just way more mature and sensitive than they potentially would have been. Um, my daughter calls me and checks in on me. She lives in L.A., uh, so she checks in on me on a regular basis. And I have to have really open, clear communication with them because, you know, little health issues that I may have been having along the way. My, my daughter got in my ass like, I didn't know you were having high blood pressure. I didn't know you were having this. Why are you keeping shit from me? So now I got to be real open about what I'm experiencing and and where I am because the, the, these are my children and they want to know that I'm okay and they want to not be in the dark when something happens. And so now I'll overshare to be like, okay, TMI, TMI. So now, now I have to be like, do you want to know this part of this thing? And I'm talking about all things, not just health. I like tell them everything and sometimes they like enough. Um, so, so yeah, it was a major shift for all of us. And I think the shift is still happening. Hmm. Hmm. I noticed that some of the photos that I've seen on your Instagram, like this one in particular, this this one is fire, by the way. Um, oh shit! <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Your, so your when I, you want me your to spirituality? Yeah, yeah. Go there. Go there. Ashe. Ashe. Um. So, well, this pic- picture in particular, it was um. Obviously, it was after I'd survived it all. And before I went in, I was dancing. I did Afro-Brazilian dance and Afro-Cuban dance um, with two different teachers. And this was Afro-Brazilian. Um, and I was dressed and doing a dance for Yimoja, who is the, um, the mother of us all, really. And um, I think her name means mother of the fishes or mother of all the fish, Yimoja. And um and she is the ocean. And so in, in Nigeria, Yimoja is the um, is a particular river. But as the diaspora, as we've come across that water in the slave trade, they say that Yimoja came with us and is now when we think about her in a diaspora, whether it's in Cuba or it's in um, in in um, in Brazil, she is the ocean. She carried us and she nurtured us despite everything that we were going through and what we were experiencing, she carried us. And, you know, in my mind, in many ways, because, you know, um, we we take these energies that exist in the cosmos. They exist in the world. They exist in in the ethers. Um, Yumoja is, is, is coordinated or considered to be um, represented by the moon. So every Orisha has... And an astral body that also represents that energy. And so how brilliant were our ancestors to look at the moon, to look at all of these forces of nature, to look at all of these energies and how they work and how they influence people and start to give them names and start to give them human qualities. And so when we think about Yimoja, we usually think about this large nurturing mother with large breasts that can nurture all of the children of the world. That's a can you know and the thing is not to make it a stereotype but this idea that okay i can actually take this concept of mammy and apply yimoja to that and take that shit back it is no longer about being a slave it is about the woman that nurtured all the children it is about the woman that nurtured the children who were enslaved as well as the slave master's children who would one day that she would eventually have to call massa that is motherhood on a on a on a level that no human can possibly ever understand. That's Yimoja coming through. 
And so that's what I was dressed as and what I was dancing um, in that particular. And that particular costume is uh, from Candomblé, a Brazilian aspect of of, um, of Ifa or of the spiritual tradition. But she may look a little bit different depending on where in the diaspora you are. But the concept and the energy is the same. Okay. I believe that I must heal for my ancestors to heal. The emotional pain I feel is not just my own, but theirs as well. That's intriguing. Talk about that. Ooh, man, that's that's really funny that you th- that is what I experienced last night at this bimbe. And I've been trying to think about the words to ex- ex- explain what I experienced last night. But <clears throat> at one point, I would say I felt every bit of sorrow and pain from every woman that had lost a child in the slave trade as a enslaved or had taken their own life or taken their child's life rather than be a slave. I felt all of that and wailed for it. And I know, you know, that to, we know epigenetics. Okay. If we want to use our scientific kind of, uh, logical mind. We know epigenetics is real. It has been proven. And most times they did the research based on um, the Holocaust. But think about four to 500 years, depending on where we are, of a people getting terrorized generation after generation after generation. That has passed down through our DNA and it's held in these spiritual centers in our bodies. For me, the heart could no longer, my heart was fine. And that's the interesting thing. My heart was strong. It was the flow coming from the heart for me that broke, that tore, that could no longer hold that pain. It needed to move through. And I didn't have the awareness to know how to do that. I'm just trying to make it in life. And so that's why that walking through and into that pain Wherever it is. And, you know, for a lot of women, whether it's it might be fibroids or maybe an inability to conceive or it may be lung issues, whatever, wherever those issues are in your body, you got to walk into that because I can almost guarantee that there's an ancestral pain that's locked in there that's seeking release. And until we do, it's going to only manifest in health issues that force us to give it attention, that force us into it, hopefully, because we can still, we're really good at ignoring some shit. And so the the beauty of it is that when you realize that, and, you know, part of me understanding it is that I'd had a reading before all of this happened, before I even got my hand to be five that year, I'd had a reading and Baba Femi on the mat said, your ancestors want you to write. They said it's going to be important for you for your healing and for theirs. And I was like, eh, what? Okay. But then going through what I went through and going through this uh, and writing the book, I got it. I was like, they got some shit they want to express. And I am the one, I am their child that is here on earth with fingers and a mouth that can actually do it with them. So as I do it, they do it and we do it together. And they feel a reason. I felt a release last night that they were finally able to express and and I was able to work with them and say, now we release it and we let it go and we can rejoice. And I'm sure there's more to be done. But that was a major, you know, aside from the book and all of the other things that I've experienced, that Bimbe last night was a major. And I think this entire time period, we got the solstice, we have Juneteenth, 
um, and the Bembe itself and the, the Ifa festival that I was a part of, all of it was like a reset, like, okay, now go do what you're supposed to do again. Cause it's always again. <laughs> I just had to let that breathe for a moment. <laughs> Again. Again. <laughs> we got to get it popping. So, so, so uh, for the uninitiated, what is a bimbe? Man, a bimbe is like the dopest spiritual party you could ever experience. It is it is everything. I was, I was there in the midst of it last night, and then I'll actually describe a little bit more, but all I just was looking around and I was like, I'm about this life. I can't imagine any other kind of way to live my life right now. I'm like looking around like I'm really about this is where I'm supposed to be. And so, I mean, I didn't really much grow up in the church. My parents were from Mississippi and they just kind of had a viewpoint of um, I'm going to just say some of the pastors and, you know, some of the things that may happen in churches. And so they were just like, not that we didn't believe in God, but it was the process of going to church wasn't. Um, what we had, but what I am, when we did go to Mississippi and with my grandmother and she made us go to church and people catching that spirit and the skirts going up and everything and everybody just losing it. And I, and I remember cracking a joke like, oh, they just wanted to get out the church because it's hot. <laughs> they just wanted to go get some air. But man, a bimbe, you have drummers that are calling down, playing the, the ancient beats for each of the Orisha, playing these ancestral beats that have been used in ritual time and time again. They know how to bring it down and the Orisha come and they descend into their children. So the priests were getting mounted, people were getting mounted, and by mounted meaning that basically, you know, in in, in I guess in Christian terms, they were getting the Holy Ghost. They were getting getting the spirit actually descending into their body or activating into their body. Um, and from that, there's healing, there's messages, and there's just pure bliss and joy. So it's a, it's an incredible experience. If anyone is ever, you know, near somewhere or has an ability to attend one, even if you don't believe in, you know, in, in this African spiritual tradition, you cannot be in that space and not feel it. You cannot be in that space and not know that God is there, that spirit is there. I don't care what you want to call the spirit or God, but you cannot deny that it's there. It's just an incredible experience. And it's a good ass party. <laughs> you know. <laughs> we ain't getting black folks somewhere with some drums and it might be a thing. <laughs> hey, uh, Queen J, any thoughts? Any thoughts for this new manifesto? Uh, Brother Zumbi. Brother Zumbi, your thoughts, bro. You know, as she was talking, it kind of reminds me in my childhood uh, when you talk about translating into a Christian equivalent. Uh, for those of you who remember the watch night services on New Year's Eve, where everybody would come there, and part of the reason they would come is to. What's the term? Giving up the ghost, if you will. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I remember they would start turning off the lights around a quarter after 11, then 11.30, then a quarter to midnight. 
the preacher was always asking the watchman in the back, oh, watchman, oh, watchman, what of the hour? And you would hear shouting, you would hear screaming. It was like everybody was releasing whatever birds they had during that year because mm. they did not want to bring those into the new year. So it kind of reminded me of those watch night services that I would see people give up that ghost or whatever burden that they were carrying during that year. That's exactly right. That's almost basically what Baba Femi said last night at the beginning of it. Let it loose. He, he said, you feel spirit trying to get you to tap your ankle and you resist it. You cannot be mad if you take the same bullshit. I mean, these aren't his words. You can't be mad if you take your same bullshit back home with you. If you're starting to feel it, do not resist that shit. Do not resist it. Let it fall through you. And even in the midst of it, you know, I, there's things I don't, rem- you know, because I was kind of coming in and out of of it as well. But I remember um, one of the ears was, you know, telling me, let it pass through you. Let it pass through you. Because it's your natural well, I won't say natural. It's our conditioned way to resist anything that feels like it's about to take you. And this, that's not how this works. You got to let it go. You got to release. You got to let it flow. Um, and I would say, you know, Oshun, who is another deity who has my head, who's, you know, represented with the river. And people think of Oshun as this, um, you know, there's the caricature. Oh, She's about sex and, you know, it's about, you know, really, you know, great sex. And she loves she loves sex and honey. But above all else, Oshun is is and I will quote um, Ia Oshun Pumile, who who was just on a program a couple of days ago. And she said, Oshun really is God's love. And that's so real. And that's, you know, this from fat, black and unlovable to beautiful, powerful love. That was an insight that came to me. As I was on a weight loss journey and I'm looking in the mirror trying to see, oh, why do I, I, I know I'm losing weight because the scale says down and I know I'm losing weight because my clothes are baggy, but I don't see anything different. And I'm looking in the mirror, which is one of Oshun's totems to look in the mirror for self-reflection, to understand who you are. Not because she's vain, although she do like nice things, but to know who you are. Look in the mirror. And I'm looking in the mirror and that those words is what are is what I heard, fat, black and unlovable. But then she immediately said, but you are beautiful, powerful love. And it's. Knowing that, I couldn't just like, okay, yeah, I'm beautiful, I'm love. It was a process to getting there. And I think going back for that, it is, um, it's the, it's the part of that hero's journey. I had to take that journey to get to beautiful, powerful love. And in many ways, I mean, I get there and then I back up sometimes. So it's not like I'm in a permanent state of that. It's an ongoing thing I have to prioritize to know, to know who the fuck I am and to value myself above all else. Hmm. Going with the flow, that was where I was going. Going with the flow like the river and allowing spirit to take you. Where you is gonna end up, it's gonna be all good because rivers only go to water. It's only it's where, where there's fish and all kinds of beautiful things. Just go with the flow. Now if you're in a river and you try to hold on to a rock, you're gonna get beat the fuck up. <laughs> mm. you, gave, you gave me a you gave me a green light to cuss, so now I'm just flowing with it. Um but if you flow with the river, you can avoid the rocks and the and the boulders and all of that and just flow with it. But you try to hold on, you will get beat up. Okay. But we flow. Okay. We flow. We flowing. We flowing. Uh, 
you know, with us today on the platform is the great Minister Zumbi, author of The Gospel of Afronomics Theology. You two are authors. And so, you know, Sister Queen J is an author as well. I can't wait for her book to come out. We'll have to definitely do a show on that. Um, So, why don't we let these authors talk? What what was the, yeah, this is author talk time. What's the financial, the business model? Does that even matter? Or is it just let it flow and get it out? You know, I, I'll let you authors have this part of the conversation. I'll let the brother go first. I've been. Okay. Well, for me, mine was a 23 year odyssey in putting this book together. Uh, 20 years of research and personal experience, three years of actually writing the book. When when I wrote the book, I said I needed something that would outlive me and something that's greater than me. Because I think a lot of times when people write books, they have this New York Times bestseller mentality. And not really writing the book from a place that's deeper than money. Mm-hmm. I remember after my divorce, I had to put everything in storage. I had just made notes of the actual manuscript. After five years of going through homelessness and depression and diabetes and everything else, when I finally got my apartment, I went back and I was unloading everything out of storage into my apartment. I found the notes and, for lack of a better term, the miracle the mice never ate in and chewed it up. Wow. So I knew I had to write. And so on February 14, 2021, I made this book live on Amazon. I put it in paperback and Kindle form. Uh, one more thing. Uh, there's a friend of mine. I don't know if he's listening. Uh, he's originally from Cape Town, South Africa. He's in the Bronx. He has basically taken the book itself and treated it like the way Warren Buffett treated the intelligent investor by Benjamin Graham, his mentor at Columbia University. And he would tell me how it has transformed how he views business, economics, and finance, and how he is now able to provide for his family. And the beauty of it is I also made sure that I wrote it from a cultural perspective. Mm-hmm. The best way that I would describe my book is Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad, Poor Dad meets Malcolm X's Black Nationalism. Ooh. Okay. Because there's all these financial books, but they're never written from an African-centered perspective. Mm-hmm. Okay. And there are unique challenges that we have, not just domestically, but globally in terms of how we view business, economics, and finance. We kind of have a poor righteous teacher mentality. And I used to get on uh, those in a so-called culturally conscious community about our athletes. I said, you can't call our athletes slaves and then turn around and want to dig into their pockets for the slave money to bankroll your projects. It doesn't work that way. You can't have it both ways. Okay. So I looked at my book writing process, and I also explained this to a, a ghostwriter in India who has now put my interview on her blog that that was the really main thing that drove me is something that can outlive me and something that can help African people in the years to come. Okay. Okay. 
First of all, I'm gonna I I'm I'm gonna have to get your book because, like, for real, you know, having had a a career in a career in corporate America, I have a very distinct understanding of the damage that capitalism is doing, has done, and will continue to do if allowed to. But that doesn't mean that we're not that you know, if you're conscious and you woke, you're supposed to be broke. Like we come from the wealthiest and by wealth, I mean all of the things that make that are of of value that the planet produces. We come from that. So we are about the wealth, but we're just working in a system and living in a system that is structured in such a way that is completely counter to everything that is natural, everything that 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 was. Um, and many of us, we figured out a way to navigate that, but, but at what cost, at what cost do we navigate the capitalist world that we live in and how can we change it? And I don't mean like these small incremental changes, but like really overhaul and change the entire system. And I, you know, it's a, it's a big lofty dream, but it's, it's possible. And so I loved um, the sound of that, the work that you're doing or the book that you've written and the research that you've done. Like there is a way to understand economics. There's a way to understand um, a different way to function and for our economics to function without it being the same way that really only works when some people are oppressed, which is what we're living in now. It, it is predicated on some people being oppressed, some people being here and others being there. And, you know, <clears throat> they want to call it the free market process. But if it was really a free market process, we wouldn't have all of the systemic racism that we have. Really make it free. Really, really let our genius shine through without your barriers putting in place and giving you the, the, the added advantage of it, but that's a whole other story. But the, the process of writing books, which was the original question, um, oh yeah, this has to be a, a labor of, of destiny, of love, and the work that you're here to do, and, and the story that you're here to tell. And it cannot be, let me do this thing that's going to make me some money, because that's what the rest of the world has created and what it has been, and we don't need more of that. We don't need more of that. We need the things that are going to give us what we need to heal. We need the things that are going to, the, the people that need to speak and that have either a lived experience or an expertise that can actually help us to move forward and not just, let me just get my money right. Yeah, we need our money right, but we also, we need so much more than that. And if we have different models of what money right even means, then we find that maybe we didn't even need all of the stuff we thought we needed. And so, yeah, I, I, I wrote this book and the other works that I'm having processed right now, not for the money, because, I mean, most authors, unless you're that one in a million that's going to get that blockbuster hit, you can't be in it for the money. This is like I'm literally in it because my ancestors told me to. <laughs> and I'm really I'm literally doing this work. And writing and I keep writing because it is healing for me. And every time I put pen to paper or thumbs to, to keyboard, yeah, like writing on my phone, I have ancestors that are working and walking and talking through me. And oftentimes to me, I'll go back and read it. I'll be like, oh, damn, she was talking to me. Damn it. I got to do something different now. And so it's so much more than that. But at the end of the day, you know, if it resonates with people and it's the thing that people need, I have no doubt that 
whatever resources, I'm not even going to just narrow it down to being money, but whatever abundance will come from doing the work that it will come, period. And that's, and that's the way spirit works. If you're doing the thing that you're here to do, spirit is going to make sure that you have what you need so you can continue to do what you're doing, as long as you're doing it right, with good conscience and good character. You are poile. Ashe. Queen J, what's it like? Uh, what was the process for your book that we're going to end up talking about in the upcoming episodes? And I can't wait. I can't wait for that. <laughs> I was going to say, is my, is my internet cooperating? Because I've been having some technical difficulties. Hey. You good, Queen. Well, okay, so I, I wrote my first chapter book in the fifth grade. So I, I, I like to write. I love to write, actually. Um, and I write down stuff all the time. <laughs> but um, I'm not a completer. I don't complete things. And so this is a discipline for myself. Um, I know myself a lot. <laughs> and so this is a big release because I make a lot of excuses for myself and that's the whole point of the settling. And I settle. I, I'm cool with settling. I really am. Um, so, um, but now is not the time. Like uh, this beautiful queen has said several times over, it's time to step up to a lot of a lot of shit, for real. And people have to play their part. We're all, all a piece of this lovely puzzle that needs to be um, reconstructed and fixed <laughs> a little bit, little bit up. Um, but mm-hmm. everybody plays a part, and I would be not—I would be not walking my walk if I did not play my part. And so, as much as, um, like she said, putting your business out in the street, you know, black folks don't do that. <laughs> but this is my business. I this all the time to students every year. Um, so it's not. It's just my all my stories put together in one book now. Um, and it's, it was a great release. It was needed. It was so needed. Oh, my gosh, it was so needed. And it's amazing. And I know that it's going to help others. And I, I, I pray that it reaches as many people that need, you know, that it needs to reach. Mm-hmm. But by all means, I just want individuals to think for themselves. I want them to go back to their natural way of being and heal themselves. Because that's that's all it's about is the healing it's the healing for me, <laughs> but yeah, that's that's the writing process. Just just letting it out, release, releases, release. <laughs> but yeah, you I teach English. Well, I taught English in um, public school, and like uh, this beautiful queen has said, also these systems have to be um, challenged. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> DJ Seiko knows I'm working on my my words and all that good stuff, so I, I'm trying to be slow about my speech and good stuff. Um, to, uh, I don't know, whatever, but the systems needs to be, uh, challenged and, mm-hmm. and my challenge and I'm, I'm working on homeschool stuff because the public school system isn't shaped for our kids by no means any type of form. Do I feel that a black child needs to be going through a public school system? So, and that's my opinion, my opinion. Um, but, uh, after teaching 12th grade this year, yeah, no. Nah. <laughs> we got to do something different real, real fast, real, real soon. And so my right. part is first releasing and getting some of my anger out because I've been mad at a system since I was like 12. <laughs> and I need to let it go and just do what I need to do and keep it moving mm-hmm. because the world is the world and I can't do but my part. Um, so, and that's that's all. Oh, that's all. Like you said, I can't answer a question long too, so I'm gonna stop now. 
But Yo, Barbara, I think... I think the name of your book. I just need to hear the name of your book again. Can I hear the name of the book? Oh, stop fucking settling. Stop fucking settling. Stop Stop fucking settling. Settling. Yes. Yes. We're amazing people. We are. We are. But, Lord, so much is drained out. Our identity and our purpose is forgotten, honey. And we all are meant to do great things. And we can all do great things. We just got to do it. Mm Mm-hmm. I say, I say, I say. I think Queen J, you need to come out to a bimbe. All right, I, I, I'll leave that there. To, to I'll let what? the ancestors do their work. Yeah, to a what? What? <laughs> a bimbe. <laughs> well, what to a what? You know, I don't know all this stuff. You know, I, I stay in the house. <laughs> what is it? What is it? And see, and that's that's the thing. We need to find out which house. You're supposed to stay in. <laughs> and I, I, okay, yeah, you caught that. You caught yes, that. Yes, I yes, Ashe, Ashe, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a, hey, look, we've been talking tonight and learning whew, um, with Sister Barbara Pamplin, author of From Black, From Fat, Black, and Unlovable to Beautiful, Powerful Love. You can find it on Amazon. You can find it on Blockbuster. Whatever. <laughs> what did you go back to nineteen eighty-five? You said blockbuster. <laughs> you can find it where you get wherever you get your books. I say. <laughs> Ooh, it's a movie. Okay, that sounds. It's a movie. It needs to be. No, okay. it's a movie. Speak hey. it, Speak it. <laughs> okay, yeah, we need to call Issa Rae and get this into the movie theater. I'll play one of the nurses. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so the book is from fat, black, and unlovable to beautiful, powerful love. You can find more about this sister at her website, beautifulpowerfullove.com. That's beautifulpowerfullove.com. And Sister Barbara, we thank you for joining. Oh, she got one last thing to say. I do know how to do the church finger. I know how to do that. <laughs> okay, so um, I was. <laughs> I'm sorry, bro. I'm sorry. Um, so a couple of things that I'm working on I, when I released the book. Well, long story short, I am making an audio book because I know people like to hear um, and listen to books. And so that'll probably be out uh, before the end of the summer. I'll just say that before September, um, that there'll be an audio book version out. And because this work goes in so deep, I'm going I'm starting to coach, do small group coaching as well. Because like I said, as I learn how to do something and break through it, I want to teach others on how to do it as well. And a lot of times, this is the kind of work that is, there's personal work, but there's also community work. So if you can do, you know, break through these barriers with a group of other Black women or other non-Black women, because I would do those separately, um, it makes it, I won't say easier, but anything that you're not doing solo completely by yourself it has more power to it. So you're able to get a little bit further. So those are some things. If you go to my website and just join the tribe, which is basically my email list. Um, and when those things are out or available, you'll be able to get more information about it. Church finger down. Okay. Okay. I can talk now. <laughs> yeah. So if you go to her website and join the tribe, 
you can catch up with Barbara Pamphlin and you know all these magical things are going to happen. Ooh, magical. I like it. Yep. You saw that, right? You saw that, right? <laughs> Confetti. Oh, you know I love the sparkles. You know who I am. Thank you. I feel seen. I feel seen. I truly feel seen. All right. Hey, I want to shout out King David who says black unity. And I know he meant to use the Y instead of the E is the only answer. I actually think it's empowerment. I think empowerment is the answer. I think empowerment is the answer. And I'll say it one last time. Empowerment is the answer. So get empowered. Seek empowerment. Teach yeah. empowerment. Pass on empowerment. Leave a legacy of empowerment. And uh, thank you for watching the Get That's On it. Code show. Oh, this was great. This was great. This was great. Ooh, this was great. Show was brought to you by Positive Vibes Incorporated, our consulting services. We do credit fixes, we do tax resolution, we lend private money and debt consolidation. So if you need some of these services, we're waiting here for you. Credit fixes, tax resolutions, private money, and debt consolidation. Make sure you call Positive Vibes Incorporated.